Hello and welcome to this Life Changes podcast. You are now listening to one of our Sunday messages. If you'd like to know more about Life Changes, you can visit us on Facebook, Twitter or Instagram. Now lean in and enjoy. Good evening, Life Changes family. Good evening. Uh, this evening, we here over this weekend have been celebrating Jesus' life, His death, His burial and His resurrection. And this evening, I'm going to take a little time to elaborate on the importance of seeing not only an empty cross, but an empty tomb. I believe we need to have that same life-giving spirit that raised Jesus from the dead within our hearts and within our lives. And what I'd like to do this evening is I read a particular portion of Scripture from the Gospel of Luke, and it's Luke chapter 24. And if you could please turn with me to Luke 24. And this weekend's theme has been hope is alive. And I love watching the news. And when I watch the news, I can see the world in ever-increasing troubled times. And to me, there's no better time than this moment where the world needs hope. And not a natural hope of wishful thinking, but a God hope that is an anticipation of his divine breakthroughs. I think political leaders around the world, their promises are failing. But there is one whose promises never fail. And that's Jesus. And he is the hope of the world. I think it's in Matthew 12, 21. It says, in his name, the nations will put their hope. It's in his name the nations will put their hope. Now, in Matthew chapter 24, I'm going to be reading from verse 1 to 7. Now, when we read the Bible, if I could encourage you, don't just read it as just a cool story. No, this actually happened. It actually happened. And I want to encourage you. I ask the Holy Spirit to help me almost relive These true actual events. These true actual events that would begin to be my very own. Not just an historical account, but a personal revelatory account. Now, in verse 1, I'd like to begin a read. And I'm reading from the NRV version. It says, on the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the woman took the spices they had prepared and went to the tomb. I want to pause there a moment because the Bible is full of emotion and passion. Never just read the Bible, just it's a book. No, can I ask you to feel the pain that these ladies had when they went to the tomb? They'd seen their master, the Messiah, crucified, his body broken and beaten up beyond recognition. They had cried all the tears out. I see their face and the mascara was just like had run all over. The, the, uh, to me, when I read it, this particular patch on my Bible has a wet spot. Has a bit of a wet spot. It says in verse 2, they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. And 
And you could just imagine from total anguish of soul to all of a sudden desperation of now what's happened to the body of our Lord and King. It says, while they were wondering about this, suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. I don't know about you, but if all of a sudden two angels appeared in bright, shining light, I don't know about you, but there possibly would, there would be something else around me. There would there'd be total like shock and despair. Shock and, and just like, whoa. Now, if you have a look, it says that they're in their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground. But the men said to them, why are you, look, why are you looking for the living among the dead? I just think it's such a, a comical, interesting, humorous quote. It's like, why are you looking for the living among the dead? Why are you looking for the living among the dead? He is not here. He has risen. Remember what he told you while he was still with you in Galilee. It's interesting how the disciples and the, had forgotten the very words of Jesus. They'd forgotten. But it was the religious leaders that actually remembered. Remember, they said, remember what they called Jesus the deceiver. And they said, remember what he said he was going to rise after three days. Get guards and guard the tomb. Imagine how terrifying it must have been for Roman soldiers to guard a tomb. How weird it must have been for them to guard a tomb. Especially during the night when there were shadows and movement. They must have also were terrified. And then the angel rolled away the stone. But the amazing thing is, as it continues, he is not here, he's risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee. Now the interesting thing the whole death, burial, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus together as a package, our Christian faith hinges on that. The Apostle Paul says that if Christ had not been raised from the dead, my preaching would be in vain. Our faith would be in vain, and we would still be dead in our sin. So the Apostle Paul said in 1 Corinthians, in the book of Acts chapter 1 verse 3, the very first thing Jesus began to do is to begin to show his disciples he was alive. He was alive. It's interesting to remember when Peter and John in Acts chapter 3, that man at the gate, beautiful, that was wonderfully healed, that cripple, and they were brought before the Sanhedrin. What was their response to their accusation by, what power did you do this miracle? They said this profound thing. They said this author of life that you killed, but whom God raised from the dead, it's in and through his name and power that you see this cripple walk here today. The book of Acts is all about a story of the early church having this revelation that Jesus was alive. And when you and I have that revelation on the inside of us, our lives change. You cannot live the way we live with a revelation, he's alive. To me, I think that truth terrifies the devil more than anybody else. A church that knows Christ died for them, buried, but was raised from the dead. Now, how does that impact our lives? 
There's a beautiful truth in the scriptures that I'd like to bring to you. Now, I've got, I don't have a clicker here, so I'm going to have to work with the guys at the back. Next. Is in Ephesians chapter 2, the Bible speaks because of his great love for us and because of his great mercy, he made us alive together with Christ. Spiritually, we were dead, but he made us alive together with Christ. We were once disconnected. We were aliens. We were foreigners. We were enemies of the cross. But because of his mercy and love, he connected us and embraced us and loved us. Through the new birth, we have an internal resurrection and connection with Jesus that changes everything. Can I say a person that has that real understanding of repentance and the connection with you, your life cannot stay the same. It's impossible for it to stay the same. Now, what does a spiritually alive person look like? And I'm wanting to focus briefly on that this evening. <clears throat> firstly, <clears throat> firstly, <laughs> the person that is spiritually alive is awake. There's an awakening on the inside of your heart and inside of your life. In Ephesians chapter 5 verse 14, Paul says, Wake up, O sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. There's an awakening on the inside of us. Now, many years ago did my national service, and I was drafted up to Volfus Bay and in the Navy there, and when we had our shifts at night, our duties, we had the quartermaster that would come and wake us up. And you're on shift from nine to midnight, from midnight to three. And when you went to bed when you're on duty, all you do, you were in your blues, but you left your boots off. And you slept in bunks, and you shared bunks. And what happened, the quartermaster would come with his torch, and he'd walk through the dormitory, and, say, and he'd shine the, eye, the torch in your eyes, and say, you're on duty, and sort of pull, off, pull the, the sleeping bag off you and what have you. And it really was like, you, you'd wake up and you've got this white light in your eyes. And it's like you stagger out and you've sort of got this light that slowly fades after your first or second cup of coffee. But can I say to you this evening, that light of Christ yeah. needs to shine on the inside of us. Because so many Christians are made alive, but they're spiritually sleeping. God wants to wake us up. Do you remember the ten virgins in Matthew chapter 25? They were already waiting for the bridegroom, but then they fell asleep. They fell asleep. And when the bridegroom came, only five had extra oil, and it was those five that went in to be with the groom, and the door was shut. See, there's a spiritual slumber of the enemy that lulls us to sleep. We're alive, but we're asleep. Do you remember the disciples in Gethsemane? Do you remember them? They fell asleep where they should have been watching and praying. To me, I do believe God is wanting to make us aware of the spiritual slumber of the enemy, that we can say, no, we can resist that through the resurrection of Christ within our lives and begin to become awake to him with the light of truth shining into our hearts and into our lives. In Matthew Chapter 3, verse 17, and then Matthew 17, verse 4 to 6. There's two beautiful parallel portions of Scripture, and we're very, very familiar with the one. And this one was when Jesus was being baptized in the River Jordan. Do you remember that? 
And the Bible says the heavens were opened. The father said, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. And then the dove came down in the form of spirit and empowered Jesus, etc., etc. And it's wonderful. I believe we need to, in our own identity, know we are deeply and dearly loved by God. You're in Christ. There's a righteousness that's given to you that you can walk with your head up. But did you know there was another account of that very same phrase in Matthew chapter 17, verse 4 to 6? There was a time Jesus took Peter, James, and John up a mountain called the Mount of Transfiguration. Interesting story. And they go up this mountain, and all of a sudden, Jesus is transfigured in front of them, and he begins to shine brighter than the noonday sun. And also, all of a sudden, Moses and Elijah also appear. That must have been scary. That must have been terrifying. And Peter speaks up, and he said, this is great, this is brilliant being up here. Why don't we build three booths, and we can stay the night and sleep? You see, in a moment of, of, of God appearing and the transfiguration, the spirit of slumber, just to want to build these shacks so we can just camp up here. But it's interesting, God interrupts Peter. Peter hadn't even finished his statement. And God enveloped them in a cloud of light and said again, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Then he adds these three little phrases. Listen to him. I want to say, I believe transformation in our own lives comes when we begin to listen to Him. We need to move from the Jordan River of knowing we loved and accepted to move up the mountain where we transfigured when we learn to live to please Him and live to obey Him. I want to say, I do believe that it's disciples that change the world, not believers. And disciples are those that learn to obey him. They listen and obey him. In Luke chapter 9, verse 32, that account of the transfiguration, it actually says they became fully awake and saw his glory. I believe we're living in a day and age where God is going to make us fully awake, fully aware to his glory and his presence, but there needs to be desire to go up the mountain, to be with him, to be transformed into his image and likeness, and we'll see his glory. Being alive is being spiritually awake. The second truth of this alive, I've just taken the word alive, A-L-I-V-E, just to help you. The A is awake. Next. The L is living fully for him. Mark brought back a beautiful phrase from the States. It's fully surrendered. I do believe God is bringing us to a place of fully surrendered. That beautiful verse in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 15, it says he died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died and rose again. I want to say to you this evening, church, I do believe there's a deeper level of commitment coming. If you've just recently made a 100% commitment to Jesus, I commend you, I applaud you. I think it's wonderful, but don't stop there. See, that 100% needs to keep growing. That 100% needs to keep growing. Could you help me at the back, please, guys? That 100% needs to be growing, needs to be growing. It needs to be growing that our heart is completely taken over by him fully and completely. 
Are you hearing in my heart this evening? But you can only do that when you know he's alive. Because when he's alive, it's worth giving your all to him. Can I say, it's often people think fully giving yourself over to him is, is a, no, why do that? That's the best thing you could ever do. When you surrender your all to him. See, in the world, surrender is a sign of weakness. In war, when they put up the white flag, you're defeated. In wrestling, when you tap out, you're defeated. But when you surrender to him, it actually becomes a place of victory and great strength. Ask Jacob, when he wrestled with God and he tapped out to God, God said to him, Jacob, you've now prevailed. And I'll make you a prince with both God and man. And I'll change your name from Jacob to Israel. Can I say when we surrender all, it's the most liberating, liberating place because in our weakness, his strength is perfected. When you become alive to him, you're living fully for him. Thirdly, the I in alive is intimacy with God. And this is a big topic. It's a vast topic, but John chapter 13, 17 verse 3 Jesus said this, now, now, now this is eternal life, that you may know him, the one and only true God. Can I say to you this evening, make it your pursuit to know him. Not just his hand, but his face. Who he is. Can I say to me, I, I do believe too many Christians, this is my own perspective, my own opinion, live their life, is it right, God, or is it wrong? Is it good, or is it evil? I believe there's a higher New Testament reality of living to please Him. And when you live to please the Lord, the right, the wrong, the evil, the good fade into insignificance because when your heart is set to pleasing Him, everything falls into place. You are most alive when you're living to please Him. Look what Jesus said. Jesus is our model. Jesus is our pattern. In John chapter 3. Sorry, in Ephesians chapter 5. The Bible says, find out what pleases the Lord. It says, find it out. You need to seek it out. What pleases the Where do you find it? It's in the scriptures. Find out what pleases the Lord. Look at Jesus' example in John Chapter 5, verse 20, he says, I seek not to please myself, but him who sent me. Look at John 8, 29. He says his profound words, I always do what pleases him. So, but when you're faced with a decision, God is a good, bad, right, wrong, and a leader, Lord, does this please you? Go to the scriptures, and when you do that, you'll be most alive. Look at the Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 9. You look at the Apostle Paul's life, profoundly powerful and impactful. What was the motivating factor in his life? He says, I make it my goal to please him. When you live to please him, everything else fits into place. This example, I, I've, I've chatted with Shirley, and she said, I can share that with you is Shirley and I have been married 32 years now. And we've got a, a, a little a ritual. Every evening when we go to bed, 
Six nights out of seven, we go to bed together. And we call it harmonizing. We lie in bed together. We share the highlights of our day. And we just gratitude to God, thankful to God. Thank you, Lord. And surely lies in my arms, head on my chest, and she gets a head tickle, and a back tickle, and a foot tickle. But she lies on my chest, and many times she says, I can hear your heart racing. She says, I just hear your heart beating. Who wouldn't have a beating heart with a beautiful <laughs> wife on your heart? But I'm wanting just to take it a step further. When last did you put your head on your Savior's chest like John did and hear his heart racing and beating and hearing heaven's whispers into your heart and your life? See, it's heaven's whispers that'll keep you going in the days in which we live. When last did you say, Jesus, my devotion this morning is just to put my head on your chest and hear your whispers. Lord, I'm not looking for a sermon. Lord Jesus, I just want to see your face. just want to hear you breathing. That's when you become most alive. After the I is V. Can I say to you this evening, I believe Jesus on the cross died and rose again that you and I could have victories beyond our wildest imaginations. I do believe there's an overcoming spirit that is going to come upon his church where we're not going to blame the flesh and the devil anymore because we're going to take responsibility over the flesh. We're going to learn to resist the devil by saying yes to Jesus and learn to overcome in fresh and in new ways. You look what Jesus said in John chapter 16, verse 33. The Amplified Translation, I love it. He says, in the world, you're going to have trials and tribulations, distresses, hardships, frustrations, etc. But then he says, be of good cheer. He says, be of good cheer. Take courage. Be strong. Be confident. I love that. And the next he says, I have deprived it of power to harm, and I've conquered it for you. That's the victory that Jesus purchased for us at the cross, that we could overcome fears, anxieties, the torment of the enemy in our minds and our emotions, that we can begin to resist the enemy with Christ's authority, his last words, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. In other words, he said, I've sorted the devil out, you just do it in my name. I really believe when you're spiritually alive, there's a victory that comes often. We're so focused on the enemy instead of on Jesus. We need to make much of Jesus and ignore the devil. I really want to encourage you. The enemy's been sorted at Calvary. We need to deal with the flesh, with this, all the self stuff. We need to lay it on the altar and say, no, Jesus, I want to overcome the, the seductions of the world, overcome the demonic that the devil might come against you with, and say, Jesus, my all for you. I remember reading many years ago, Watchman Nee was one of my favorite authors, and I've read many of his books, but one of his statements that was so profound and powerful in his book called Against the Tide, his autobiography, he made this little statement. He says, I want everything for Christ and nothing for self. He was a Chinaman that changed China. You read his books. 
profoundly powerful. Profoundly powerful. He was in and out of jail many, many times. When he was out of jail, he preached the gospel. Put him in jail, the jailmates, the jail guards, they all got saved. So what they did is they, they, they cut his tongue off that he couldn't preach the gospel anymore. But he loved them with his eyes that they were coming to faith. And then they gouged his eyes out, and that's when they killed him. He was a man that was fully surrendered to Christ, and he had a great victory in his death. And in his death, the gospel spread even further in China. A-L-I-V-E. Every ever with you. I want to say when you know Jesus is alive, he's ever with you. He's ever with you. Can I please ask you, never pray, Jesus, please go with me. You know, it's not biblical to pray that. He says, I am with you till the very ends of the ages. Did you know Joshua, Moses, Abraham, they did all those mighty feats of victory with one promise. God says, I'm with you. Moses challenged Pharaoh. Pharaoh. Joshua challenged all the, those tribes in the promised land. Just God said to Joshua, as I was with Moses, so I'm going to be with you. Just go sort them out. You and I would want angelic visitations. We'd want prophetic words. We'd want this. We'd want that before. Now God says, I'm with you. Can I encourage you? You are most alive when you become aware of him. You're most alive when you treasure his presence. You're most alive when you make time to meditate and reflect on him. I want to say we need to learn to do what Brother Lawrence did, is practice the presence of God. Can I say in this day and age, in this generation, I think the hardest thing to do is to be still and quiet. We live in a noise-polluted world, and that often that drowns the voice of the Holy Spirit and what Jesus or the Father wants to say. Can I encourage you, become aware of him. Respond to his initiatives towards you. Begin to live in that intimate, sweet relationship with him. Where just the look of his eye, you know what's going on inside of his heart. Where you can begin just to, to, to see what he's doing and up to. That's what Jesus said. I only do the things I see my father doing, and I only speak the words I hear my father speaking. That's treasuring the presence of God. We need to begin to do that and cultivate that within our hearts and within our lives. How do we move on from here in conclusion? I believe this evening the Lord wants to, in a sense, fibrillate, I think is the right word, our hearts. There's that scripture earlier that was in the book of Revelations, the church in Sardis. I forget exactly what it says. You have this reputation of being alive, but you're actually dead. Shirley and I, seven years ago, we went and visited the seven churches mentioned in, in the book of Revelations. And we, we stood at Ephesus, we stood at Pergamon, we stood at Sardis, and there's ruins there. It broke our heart to think that once there were vibrant communities and households of faith, but they're just ruins. Why? They lost the revelation he was alive. They started looking inward instead of outward. When you know he's alive, as we read, it says in the end of 
verse 9 of, of Luke 24, it says they ran back to tell the other disciples he's risen. Knowing that revelation is alive will accelerate your walk with God. It was on Tuesday afternoon this week, this last week, uh, I tried twice a week to get on my bike and cycle down to the beach, and I love praying for the city of Cape Town when I visually can see it. And whoever along the road needs prayer, I pray for them. And I was cycling, and I, I cycled past these two ladies. And as I cycled past them, I was aware of the one carrying a bag, and there were pipes coming out the bag into this other one, into her nose, and it was like a, a mask kind of a thing. And I turned my bicycle around, I stopped, and I introduced myself. Natalie and Ansi, mom and daughter. And I'm as curious as a cat. I don't like cats, but I'm curious like one. Sorry, <laughs> some of you that know me. I'm not a major animal lover, but anyhow, God's got his ways. He's dealing with me. And I stopped and I started chatting with them and I said to them, sorry, I can't help but what's happened? I said, no, this is my daughter. And we're just down here in Cape Town and my daughter is waiting for a donor for a lung transplant. Waiting for a donor for a lung transplant. I stopped. I said, I'll tell you what. And she said for, that she could live. And I found out about the story about her lungs, etc. And I said, I'll tell you what. I can tell you about a person that 2,000 years ago died for the world that we could have life. And I had the most beautiful 20 minutes of engaging together, sharing together with them. And they were open for me to come and visit again. I invited them here, but she said she, they, they cannot be in crowds because with their very weak lungs, any kind of uh, airborne disease would just cause an infection that could take her life. So she lives in a very, very sort of insular environment. But I said, can we come to you? She said, please. So she's going to do the Alpha course next week, and I've got passion videos for her, and we're just going to make sure that she makes right with God. And to me, as I shared that, I all of a sudden became aware how he gave his life for us, that we could have life. I said to them, every breath you take, he gives, and it's a gift to you. What are you going to do with that breath? Are you going to give it back to him and worship in prayer and service? This evening, he gave us all that we could be alive. Some of you this evening, he's going to fibrillate your hearts. Some of you, he just wants to give you the kiss of life. That song that Gabe sang earlier, it was one he composed, a beautiful one. No matter how far you've run, he pursues you. No matter where you are, he chases after you. But we've got to respond to him. Say, Jesus, make me alive on the inside to you. I want to be alive. I want to be alive. Now, as I close this evening, could I ask maybe a guitarist? Thank you, Gabe. This evening, if you've never made that personal commitment to Jesus, he died for you to bring you back to God. He gave us all, and he wants you this evening to respond in faith to him and say, Jesus, I give you my 100%. And my 100% grows every single day. It 
grows every single day. And if you, that's you this evening, if it's a first time commitment, I'd love to talk with you further and help you. But this evening, if you haven't been sensing the nearness of Jesus, that he's alive, that he's real, I'd love to pray for you. And then we're going we're gonna to sing that, that beautiful song, Hope is Alive. It was a wonderful I sensed God's presence and anointing on that song. And for you and I then to be able to take that hope out to the world. But if you'd like prayer, I just would invite you to stand where you are. It's between you and him. Some of you need that kiss of life. Some of you need that fibrillator. is ask you to stand and I'm going to pray a prayer over you it's the next slide the next one Romans chapter 15 verse 13 a beautiful prayer that Paul prayed not only for the church in Rome but I believe for us may the God of all hope fill you and I've put in brackets paraphrased it for us here and now with all joy and peace as you put your trust in Him, so that you may overflow out there in the world, at college, at your workplace, with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Father, tonight, I pray for every person here this evening, that Lord, as they put their trust and confidence in You, that Lord, as they lean not in their own ability, their own strength, but in You, that, Lord, you would fill and flood their hearts with hope, with peace, and with joy. That, Lord, from that position of being full of you, alive in you, alive in you, Lord, they could overflow where they go, wherever they go. Father, I ask you for that this evening. Jesus, in your precious, beautiful, wonderful name. Jesus, thank you for every person here, Lord. Make yourself real to them. Show them in special, unique ways how alive you are. You are so alive. Let them sense your breath. Let them feel your heartbeat. Let them sense your hand upon their lives. Father, I ask that right now, Jesus, in your beautiful name.